two. And we're gonna read the uh, whole chapter. So we'll start in verse one. <clears throat> and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant was set over the reapers, answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. And let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for, thou, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned. And it was about an epaph of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, and she brought forth, and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. 
And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men, until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in another field, in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to, cl- to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Lord, thank you very much for this time for us to be able to come together and to worship you, Lord. I pray that uh, the message that you have for us tonight, Lord, that it would fall on good ground, Lord, that we would receive it with joy and that we would be able to go forth in our lives joyfully, praising you, Lord, and serving you the way that we should, God. I pray that all of us in here, the, the, the lives that we have and the lives that we live and represent to you, Lord, that we would just be touched tonight by your grace and that we would just honor you, God, and love you more for it. I pray that you will just anoint us all to hear what you would say to us tonight and anoint me to say what you would have me to say, Lord. Let nothing be done tonight that is not of you. And, and I pray that you will just touch each and every one in this room, that you would touch them in their lives, touch them at their jobs, touch them at school, God. Please help them to be ministers of your grace, showing people who you are, Lord. Just anoint them, God, to go out into the world and to spread your gospel. Just let us all do your perfect will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, our title tonight is You Are Not an Outcast. And uh, I'm sure you guys are pretty familiar with the story of Ruth. Mostly. You know who Ruth is? So she, uh, if you don't, I'll go ahead and uh, give you a little bit of background. Naomi was uh, an Israelite, and her and her husband left Bethlehem because there was a drought, a famine. There There wasn't any food. So they left Bethlehem, they left their people, and they went and dwelt among the people of Moab. They, they moved away. And so while they were there, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they had uh, their two sons took to them uh, these uh, Moabitish wives, these women that were uh, from Moab. So they took these wives, and uh, while Naomi dwelt there, her husband died, and then her two sons died as well. So Naomi, she even specifically says in a chapter, in a verse in Ruth, she says that uh, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. So she went away with her family and she came back empty because she did not have her husband or her sons with her. So however, once, uh, once her husband and her sons died and her, her daughter-in-laws were living with her because that was more of the custom, you, you married into your husband's family, you never, you, you didn't leave them, that was kind of mostly what most of the people did. And so her daughter-in-laws were still with her, and uh, Naomi heard that there was bread in Bethlehem again. There was, the, the, the drought was over, the famine was over, it was time. And she was like, well, I'm going to go back to my people. And so both of uh, her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, and the other one's name was Orpah, they were like, okay, well, we're going to go with you. And so as they started to go, Naomi said, no, you guys need to go back to your to your families because I can't give you husbands and why why should you leave your home? You should just go on back and you should just stay there. Well, as we know, Orpah went back and Ruth didn't. Ruth wanted to stay with Naomi. Ruth Ruth went with Naomi and they went back to Bethlehem. And so that's where we come into this chapter right here. They have made it back to Bethlehem and uh, Ruth said that what she was going to do was she was going to go to the fields and glean so they would be able to have food to eat. Because God prepared that for the poor. 
the, the people that uh, had fields and would harvest their crop, God had specific instructions saying, you will let the poor come and glean off of your field, which basically means the stuff that the reapers didn't get. And then also, I think God even made even more provision, and I think they weren't even allowed to uh, harvest the corners of their field and, and things like that. So God, was, God had made provision and made laws for people that were poor. So that's what Ruth meant. I was, I'm, we are poor, and we are, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to glean what is left over. I'm going to pick up those little pieces and hope we have enough to eat. And so uh, she went out there, and so then we're going to pick up here, and we're going to look closer at each one of these verses, and we're going to pick up here at verse 8 and 9. We're going to go ahead and reread and then talk about these. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art thirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. So here, Boaz is offering Ruth protection and he's offering her provision. He told her to stay close to his fields and to his workers. Stick close to my people, come to my fields and glean, and, and I'm going to make sure that you have protection. He, he even gave specific instruction that she is not to be bothered in any way. Uh, it would be a bit unsettling for a lone woman, and possibly even dangerous, to go out into a field where men are working because that leaves the woman vulnerable. So uh, they were out there away from the, the, the town. They were out in a field, kind of more out, like out in the country like it would be here. And so while the men are working, it would leave the woman vulnerable. A man could take advantage of that. Boaz offered her protection. He said, I have told the men they are not to touch you. You stay in my field, and you'll be left alone. You come here, and you glean, and you have my protective hand over. Because Boaz owned the field. If, if anyone was to disobey his orders, they were to be in trouble. So he provided protection for her, and he also provided provision by uh, telling her that she could go relieve her thirst while working in the field from what the men had drawn. So God has provided protection for us from Satan, from our enemies. He, uh, Satan cannot pass the bloodline of Jesus Christ. We're not invincible from the advances of the enemy, but we are equipped and capable by the foundation that Christ has laid, by what Christ has done on the cross, by what he has overcome. He has provided protection and provision through his blood and through his action on the cross. So now picking up in verse 11, and then we will also look at verse 12. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Boaz saw and he recognized that she had forsaken her former life. She had completely tossed aside her old gods. She tossed aside her old ways. And she had come to a people that she did not know. She was an outcast where she had gone. But she had forsaken that former life. She didn't go back to the gods, the sin that she used to live in. She turned away from it and came to Bethlehem with Naomi. Even declaring that Naomi's people would be her people. And Naomi's God would be her God. That's a very famous scripture in Ruth. She said, your God will be my God. And then she also said uh, something to the effect of, 
just it'd be awful on me if death part you and me. She had just bound herself to Naomi, bound herself to Naomi's God. She was there and she was going to stay there. She had taken a stand and drawn a line in the stand, determining that she wanted something more than what she once possessed. She wanted something more than what she had back in Moab. Even though the ways of the Hebrews were foreign and different than what she knew, she was determined to go on with it. She was determined to push through and follow Naomi to her home and for that to be her home. Jesus takes notice when we leave our old lives behind to follow him. He notices. He knows. He sees the sacrifice of the friends that we, we leave behind. He sees the sacrifice of, of the things we used to enjoy doing, and we put those aside. He notices when we don't go back to what we used to know so well. So then looking back at verse 12, Boaz declares something very interesting. It's like a prayer of blessing over Ruth because of what she had committed herself to and what she has turned away from. He says, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose, whose wings thou hast come to trust. He kind of intercedes on her behalf. He's, he's saying that, uh, man, Lord, Lord I'm just going to pray to God that, that you would be provided for and that you would get given back more than you have given, that you would be rewarded more than what you have given up, that God would just pour the, the blessing on you for what you have done. And uh, Jesus intercedes on our behalf. And he, he's up there and he's saying, oh, I just, I just love them. I just love them. And we know that he intercedes to the Father. And, and we are given more than we can ever give back. We are given way more than we ever left behind, that we leave behind in the world. He gives us so much more. So then looking at, we're going to go back to verse 10 and then skip to verse 13. Because I'm, I'm just dissecting it by how, what Ruth says. So this is Ruth talking in both these verses, 10 and 13. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And verse 13, Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. Ruth knew she wasn't one of the Hebrew woman, women. She wasn't trying to pretend and cover up who she was. She knew she wasn't. She knew she wasn't. She knew she was a stranger. So she knew she was of a different people, and she was considered a heathen, somebody that worshipped pagan gods. And so she was a Moabite. She, to, the, to the Hebrew people, she was even kind of maybe icky, a little yucky. Oh, you've, been, you've, you've worshipped pagan gods before. You're not of our people. Uh, she was an outcast. She had a past of worshiping pagan gods, and she was amazed that Boaz would even talk to her and take notice of her. And she was so appreciative of the fact that he even spoke to her that being that she was so different from what was to be desired in that country. Because a good Hebrew would find a good Hebrew woman. Nobody should take notice of her. She's just there to glean. Hey, you're going to let me glean in my, your field? That's great. But instead he comes and he heaps things and heaps things on her. Hey, you can glean here. Hey, you've got protection. Hey, you can get a drink. Hey, also, uh, I'm going to pray to God that you would be blessed for what you've done. And so she's just like, oh, wow, thank you, thank you. And so somebody wrote this. I can't remember if it was John Wesley or who it was, but I found it in the commentary in my Bible. And uh, it's very old languagey like uh, but kind of is saying what uh, rewarded in the way that Ruth said it though I be not I humbly implore the continuance of thy good opinion of me though I do not deserve it being a person more mean necessitous 
and obscure, a stranger and one born of heathen parents, and not of the holy and honorable people of Israel as they are. So though she's saying, though I just be a stranger and, and, and I'm from people, unholy, an unholy parents, and I am not of, of them, of you, thank you so much for taking notice of me. So you may not have a family that does things completely by the Bible. You may not be like the church kids. You may not have grown up in a home that necessarily encouraged serving Christ. Maybe, maybe you're in a, a Christian home, but maybe they, don't, maybe they don't push the Bible. Maybe they don't push, hey, no, everything needs to be bun, done for Jesus and, and, and through him. Maybe they're not pushing that. Maybe you're just kind of in more of a relaxed atmosphere where, where God's not taken seriously. Uh, maybe they don't encourage you to follow Christ, but that doesn't mean that Christ doesn't notice you and he doesn't want you. He sees you and he notices you. You can still come to his field of grace and glean. Uh, and then verse 14, And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come hither and eat. So I'm not going to read all that verse, but, but he tells her to come eat with us. Boaz still beckoned her to come eat at his table. He wanted her to come and be filled. And Jesus wants you to come and be filled with his wisdom and his spirit, no matter your background, no matter who you come from. He isn't going to make you sit in a corner by yourself because you are different. He wants you at your table with your background, with your parents that you came from, with the family that you come from, whether they be of God or not. He still wants you to come to his table. He wants you to come and eat and to be filled. And so uh, then we're going to read verses 15 and 16. When she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. And leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So from what I've been able to gather, the gleaners were not supposed to glean by the sheaves. And the sheaves, you know, what it, uh, I could be wrong, but what I'm picturing is the stalks and they're tied together. So it's like a big, like not a bale of hay, but like upright things that, you know what I'm talking about? And with them, they're tied. They're like, looks like big tall grass, only the hay and the wheat's on top and it's all pretty and you know, everything. Well, they would probably bundle those up and throw them somewhere. Well, the gleaners apparently were supposed to come and glean by those because when nobody was looking, they could easily snatch some out of the sheaves, is what I understand. So the gleaners weren't supposed to glean by there. But Boaz was saying that he trusted her because he said, let her glean over there. That's fine. I trust this, I trust this woman. She's not going to steal, and I want her to be able to take as much as she can let her glean even among the sheaves. He had full confidence that she would not steal from him. And God trusts you. You may have been a rebel at one time, but he trusts you now. You may have been a drunk, but he believes in you now. You may have tried drugs, but he has proved you and he knows you. He allows you to glean even among the sheaves of his grace. You are not left out of any benefit because of your background. He's not going to say, oh, well, you know, the person that was a rapist... They don't get to sit here at the table with me. I'm going to have them sit at the kitty table. He doesn't say that because once you have come to glean in his field, once you have come to him and you've come to his grace to take of his grace, he says, no, you, you are equal. You are not an outcast now. Now you are one of mine. So then Boaz tells his young men to drop some handfuls of purpose so that she can glean even more. And he was doing this in a way that she'd be able to feel as though she had an even more bountiful time of gathering all on her own. 
He could have just thrown a sheaf at, a sheaf at her and been like, here you go. Just take that. Just take this whole thing. Take this bale of hay and go on out of here. But no, instead he left more behind so that she could pick it up. Dr. Andrew Thompson said, It was a thoughtful and delicate form of kindness to Ruth, thus to increase her gleanings and yet make them all appear the fruit of her own industry. So by, by letting them shake out some of those handfuls and letting them leave handfuls, Ruth was like, I'm doing so good today. Look at all this. Look at the bounty that I'm picking up. It's just such a wonderful day because you know what it's like to have a job well done. I remember waiting tables and uh, I would hear the jingle in my apron. Oh, man, I've got money. Or it'd just be like getting fluffy from all the dollars I'd put in there. I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's been a good day. I've got because, you know, my apron. And it would just be awesome because, yeah, I know it's a good day. So I can imagine that's the way Ruth felt. She's picking up those, gleaning it. Oh, it's just such a good day. Look at all this that I've got. So, so God is dropping handfuls on purpose for you to glean so that you can be blessed and enlarged in his will. Sometimes it can feel like that we've done such a good job at something in our life. Maybe we've overcome something. We've overcome some kind of a, a temptation that's going on in our life. Or maybe even we've gleaned wisdom from the word of God. Hey, I actually read my Bible and I got something out of it. I studied something and it was good. And, and I'm so proud of myself. This is great. We feel like we've done a good job, and it's good that we put forth that effort. It's good to read the Bible, and it's good to study. But really what we're doing is just picking up the handfuls that Jesus left for us on purpose. Because it is all what he does. Anything we are or have done is all because of who he is. Without him, we can do nothing. We are nothing. We have nothing. It is all through him, by him, and with him. He is leaving handfuls of purpose for us. Are we picking them up? Do we even notice that they're there? Are, are, are we listening for him? Are we, are we seeking him to even be able to pick up, to glean from his grace? Do we even notice him? And then uh, we're going to... I might skip reading through the verses, but she goes back to the city and she shows her mother-in-law, Naomi, what she had gleaned. And uh, she goes, look at this. Look what I've got. And Naomi goes, where, where did you glean today? And she, she specifically said, blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And so what she was saying, what Naomi was noticing is that this was no ordinary bounty that Ruth had brought home. You're not supposed to get that much stuff, that much, uh, whatever it's called that she gleaned, the corn, whatever, it, the, the wheat, the barley, whatever it is, she was not supposed to have gleaned that much in one day's time. It was too much. So she knew somebody had been gracious to her. Somebody had been kind to her. And so Ruth says, uh, well, the man is Boaz. And uh, Naomi said, blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, the man is near of kin to us, one of our next of kinsmen. So uh, Jesus takes notice of you and he heaps blessing upon you that is more than average. Your background doesn't matter. Your past doesn't matter. Your lineage doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't take away from his love for you and his longing for you to be in his field gleaning from his grace. Uh, and what, what Naomi said there, who has not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead, Boaz was showing kindness to the widows who were still alive. So he was showing kindness to the living, and then he was showing kindness to the dead for, because their husbands are dead, and he's doing it in their honor. So Jesus doesn't care about those that are born again and alive in him, 
I'm sorry, Jesus doesn't just care about those that are alive and born again and alive in him. He also cares for the dead that don't even know him. He is showing kindness to us at all times, whether we are among the dead or whether we are among the living. He's showing kindness. He is trying to beckon us to glean in his field of grace. So uh, if, if you just, just don't hear anything else today, just hear that his kindness is extended to you. Whether you are alive in his grace and you are living for him and you are all about the Lord, or whether you couldn't care less whether you're even in this room. If you don't even care, he's still extending kindness to you. If you care about him, he's still extending kindness to you. He loves you and he wants you. Take him up on his offer. He won't turn you away. And so um, Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, and that they meet thee not in any other field. So what Naomi was doing, Naomi was admonishing Ruth not to go into another field and to only glean in that one, in Boaz's field, the one that had shown her grace and kindness. It wouldn't have been good for Boaz's workers to see Ruth going to other fields to glean because then they would have told Boaz and that would have hurt Boaz because of the kindness he extended to her. It would have, been, it would have deeply saddened him to know that his grace wasn't good enough because she had to go seek grace somewhere else. Just the same, we don't need to go to anyone else's field to glean grace. Can you imagine the slap in the face of Jesus if we're going somewhere else to seek grace? Because he's already provided and offered so much for us. How, what more could we ask for? We don't need to add to what he has already provided. And we don't need to go looking for someone else to be our God or our Savior. Because he is all we need. He's provided it all. And so, does anybody know how the story ends? Don't know? What happens to Ruth? All right then. So what happens is that uh, I may get a, I'll try to be, go over it quickly and still be detailed. Um, so what Naomi said earlier was that Boaz was the next of kinsmen. And so what that means is that uh, another way that God provided for his people is that whenever a husband died, then uh, some, a, a person that is in relation to that family, a man, could marry that woman, and then the child that they would have would be able to be, uh, be able to inherit the, uh, their, the, the inheritance of the original family. So, uh, what, so what Naomi was saying is that Boaz was that person, was one of those people. However, there was someone nearer than him. So Boaz would have to work out a little deal and uh, they go and make the deal and then uh, the guy decides that he doesn't want to marry Ruth because she's, well, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say, but she is a Moab, so that may have uh, had to do with that. But uh, so that man decides not to. And so Boaz ends up marrying Ruth. And there's, there's just a precious part of that story also that I skipped over, but uh, you can go and read it in the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters. It's such a good read, but uh, it involves how Ruth uh, asks him to come and to redeem her because that's what they call it. He redeemed her and, and married her so that she could raise up a child for her dead husband. And so you can read in there. It's beautiful, but I won't get into that even though I would like to. But anyway, so she ends up marrying Boaz, and she is able to, uh, and, and we read, I think, I don't know if it was, I think it was in the scripture that we read, he's a mighty man of wealth. So you can imagine that this guy, several ladies had probably had their eye on him because he's a mighty man of wealth. Well, Ruth is the one that catches his eye, and they 
are married. And they end up having a baby, and his name is Obed. And then Obed has a baby, and his name is Jesse. And Jesse had 12 sons, his youngest being David, as in King David. Amazing, right? So imagine that the Moabite outcast became the great-grandmother to the great King David, who we know also is the ancestor to Jesus. So Ruth, who is an outcast, who is a Moabite, who came to this, this, this city, this foreign city, just like, oh, can I just glean in this field? That's all I want. I just want to be able to eat. Well, she ends up marrying the owner of that field and, and even being a, an ancestor to Jesus. If he cared enough for her to elevate her to such a position, then he cares for you to elevate you to a place of amazing heights in his grace. So you are not an outcast. They're not done yet. You are not an outcast. You are not on the outskirts of the chosen people. Jesus has welcomed you in with open arms, and he loves you every bit as much as the people that seem just perfect. Anybody that you can think of that you know is a Christian and they seem like they do everything right, Jesus loves you just as much. And you're not an outcast compared to that person who you think has perfection. He loves you and he still wants you in his field of grace. Though Ruth felt left out and awkward in that new place, she ended up marrying this mighty man. You may feel left out and out of place because you came from a different background or maybe because you stumble so much in your Christian walk. Maybe you feel like an outcast even whenever you're around Christians because you just feel like you can't get it right, but you're still not an outcast. If you're washed in Jesus' blood and you have turned your life over to him, then you're on your way to not just being married to a mighty man of wealth, but you are the bride of Jesus. You are the bride of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The lion of the tribe of Judah, whose eyes are like fire, and he has conquered all the enemies that you could ever come against, and will conquer anyone else that stands in his way. We are his bride So don't feel or act like an outcast when you are the most desired and loved human being there is. Let's go into his field of grace and glean from him. But do not ever accept the lie that we are an outcast among the the people of God. If God accepts you, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the church thinks of you. I mean, obviously listen to your elders and try to take advice when it's needed. But it doesn't matter if people think that you don't worship right, or you don't sing just right, or you don't dress just right, or you don't walk into the church just right. If you are are, are following Christ and you love him and you are honoring him with everything you've got, then you are his and you are not an outcast to him. And I don't know if you guys realize how many people were considered outcasts in the Bible. I was thinking about Rahab the other day while I was listening to a song, and it's just so awesome because she was a prostitute, and she was she lived in Jericho, and Jericho was the one where the walls fell down whenever the Israelites marched around it. Well, she was the prostitute that hid the spies, and she was such an outcast, even among her own people, because prostitutes aren't really looked on as upstanding citizens most of the time she 
uh, hid the spies, and she was allowed to come and join the Israelites because they saved her life because she hid the spies. She was allowed to come and live among the Israelites. She married an Israelite, and she is possibly even the mother of Boaz. So even she is in the lineage of Jesus. And she was another heathen, pagan person that worshipped other gods, but she saw these people, and she, she, she wanted the, the faith that they had and the God that they had. Uh, to name another one, Saul was on his way to arrest Christians and was involved in the murder of Stephen. He was on his way to arrest Christians whenever he was blinded, and he came, Christ spoke to him uh, in the New Testament on the road to Damascus. I won't get into his story, but uh, that's a good one, too, if you want to look that up. It's in Acts. And so uh, some of the Christians even feared him so much, because, and they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't receive him once he was saved, because they're like, oh, no, they might kill me. He might kill me. So even Saul was an outcast who changed his name to Paul, if that helps. And then also there was... Um, uh, a young man who kept the sheep of his family, and he was the youngest in his family, and it was told that a prophet was going to come, and the prophet wanted to see all of this man's sons. And so this man was like, oh, the prophet's coming. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll get all my sons. He gathers all of his sons together, but leaves the youngest out in the field with the sheep and doesn't even call him in to see the prophet. The prophet goes over all of his sons and is like... Well, I'm here to anoint a king, but none of these are it. The Lord didn't say any of these. So the father says, oh, well, I guess we could call David out in the, with the sheep up here. And so they bring David in, and the Lord says, that's the one that's going to be the king, and they anoint David. David was an outcast in his own family because, I mean, how could you not be an outcast whenever... <laughs> Your father says, hey, bring all the sons in, and he doesn't even call you in. That's a pretty big outcast to me, but David became the king of the people. So just if you feel like you're, you're out of place in your family, in this church, in the people of God, you're not. God loves you, and he wants you to glean from him. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from or who your family is. God invites you to his field of grace, and he's dropping those handfuls of purpose for you. So bask in the love that's shown to you by the king. You're not an outcast. So uh, if we could, we'll just have a little time of prayer while uh, we wait for the final prayer out there.